Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. All right, welcome to this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. As always, I'm Matt Moderno, and I'm joined by my co-host, Larry Hughes. Larry, how's your week going? That's going pretty good, Matt. How about yourself? Uh, you know, it's a beautiful day here in the D.C. area, so uh, things are things are looking good, and I'm ready for the weekend. I've been uh, trying to fill fill some downtime here by just like any basketball content I get. So I, I've been watching the the Spanish ACB League, um, and that's kind of fun just seeing some of the random you know, the random old school names that are still sticking around that league, like Deion Thompson that played at North Carolina was playing in a game I watched last night. Um, and, you know, Nikola Miritich that played for the Bulls is playing over there now. And I'm, I'm like, I'll literally watch anything right now. No, I mean, that, that's it, man. And that's just like basketball is huge now. I mean, just the, the many different leagues and, you know, just the many different opportunities. So it's good to, you know, just to have those outlets. I mean, anything basketball related, you know, that's, that's, that's what we're trying to see right now. This is a random question for you before we get started, but just just on the European thing. Did you ever consider that at all on the tail end, or, or you know, was it when you by the time you were done, you you knew you were done? No, I, I didn't. I, I never uh, considered you know going overseas um, again. I'm from being from the Midwest, that just wasn't you know something that I was familiar with. Sure. Uh, I didn't. I don't really go overseas. I don't like long flights. <laughs> Um, I'm not really an explorer or, you know, want to get out and, and sightsee. Um, and I think that that's an advantage when you go over to those you know, different countries, go overseas and play, you get a chance to experience, you know, the different cultures. I wasn't necessarily into those things, uh, you know, during that time. But to each his own. I mean, you, you see what Steph did over there. I mean, Steph, you know, went and, you know, just reworked everything he was doing and, you know, just changed, you know, everybody's perception of him. It's it's definitely interesting um, just seeing some of the names that pop up over there uh, too. But the style of play is just very different, and and watching the timeouts, you know, it's you've got translators in the huddle, and I think it would be hard enough to get you know fifteen guys on the same page if you all speak the same language, you know, let alone if you have four or five different ones. And they look like they're playing with like that rubber ball you would get out of like a ball pit at like a Walmart or something. Like it doesn't look like a a traditional ball. So it's definitely interesting to watch. Um, but all that is a very long-winded segue into I really, really need the NBA to come back. And uh, it is it is looking kind of less likely to me. I, I don't know what you think about that, but it's more players are announcing that they've got COVID now. Uh, Florida's cases are spiking. I think more players have announced that they're ready to just sit out altogether. Uh, do you, are you more or less optimistic? W- what do you think? I, I think it's, it's, it's really the unknown. I mean, we have to understand that obviously when we caught the virus, we should expect that it was here longer um, than than when we caught it. 
So as far as the who's actually uh, infected with the virus, you know, you have to do testing. And, you know, these guys, I mean, as an athlete, you're, you're strong. I mean, you're taking vitamins, you're eating right, you're getting rest. So a lot of things that happen, you know, that are foreign to your body, you're able to fight those things off. Mm -hmm. So I can see that, you know, a number of guys, you know, that haven't been tested because they've been feeling great, um, just test positive and, you know, have no symptoms. But again, it's going to, you know, start that track of when they have to quarantine. And I think that that's going to cause more problems than, than guys sitting out. I think the expect, you know, the expectation should be, you know, that a number of guys are going to test positive. And is that going to give us a proper window for them to do the proper quarantine and then come back and have a fitness level that they can compete? It's, it's going to be tough. I'm with you, Matt. It's, it's, getting, it's getting more and more dire, you know, every day. You know, you heard a couple of the national pundits say things like, well, you know, they can't go to Florida anymore. They need to look at a plan B. I just can't see that working out given the, the time restrictions here that suddenly they'd flip flop and be ready to go and play in Maine in a month. You know, it, it just I can't see the logistics of that working out. Following off of that, obviously, one of the big names here in, in D.C. that that just announced he's not going to come back. Uh, Davis Bertans has said that he won't be re you know, returning to play when the team goes down to Orlando. And then in the report that sort of announced that, they mentioned his two ACL tears, which I like pay way too much attention to this stuff, and I had never heard that about him anyway. So I don't know if they were just sort of throwing that out as like a, hey, this is why he's being overly cautious. But if I were about to go into like my biggest possible free agency, you know, in my late 20s, I kind of get him wanting to protect himself for that, but it just seemed weird that you would reference like, oh, he's worried about like his previous knee conditions before you sign him to a big contract. That just seemed weird to me. Yeah. My thing, man, with, with the space that we're in right now with, with having real conversations and, and the social injustice things that are going on, just be honest. Yeah. But just be honest in the fact that, you know, your long-term goals and everything that's going on is put, you know, some, some tough decisions in that process. You know, now you have to make some tough decisions. But just be honest. I mean, you got to deal with, you know, even with, you know, with Trevor Ariza, with, with the Blazers and, you know, the custody deal and not wanting to go because it falls in line with, you know, that sort of time period in the custody deal. Again, if you don't want to go, you know, just say that you're, you're not going. I don't, I don't like all of these you know, stories that, you know, to, to be the reason why, when we all understand and can completely agree with you. I mean, we, we I'm going to be on your side if you decide to, you know, not play. I don't need all the extra stuff uh, that goes along with it um, because it, it keeps, it, you know, you want to keep the light on the actual virus, the things that you're, you're really dealing with. You don't want to take a conversation to anything about ACLs because, you know, that's, that's going to hurt your money as well. Yeah, it just, I think you like have 100% hit it in the nail on the head in terms of kind of like fan reaction that I've seen so far. And it's not to say that those things aren't like legitimate concerns that those guys are worried about. And, you know, for like Ariza, the kid situation, like I'm sure that's tough and challenging and everything too, but people don't need to know. I mean, they really, they just, I'm not going. It doesn't make sense for me. I can't do this right now. Like this is probably the one time you'll get a pass from most people. Uh, with regard to something like that, I, I mean, at least to the general public, I, I can't imagine teammates are going to hold their their teammates against them, you know, either. Yeah, I mean, these guys. I mean, I'm sure they've they've taken some break, you know, obviously doing the quarantine, but they've been going 
since last July as far as preparing for the season ahead. So, yes, there's been some downtime, but you still have to be in the mindset. So, you know, normally when these guys are, you know, now you know, refocused or re-energized or playing basketball with a different energy, the focus is different. And, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit odd for a lot of these guys, and I can understand it. And with, the, you know, with the health crisis going on, uh, that's even more reason to, to take a hard look at your situation. And if it's not for you, it's it's just not for you. We we got to respect that. I mean, that's almost exactly how Adam Silver phrased it. Like this bubble just won't be for everybody, and um, I think that's going to have to be okay. Uh, and the other thing that's gotten some, I guess, some some grief from the fan base that I've seen is this notion of like the Wizards are totally behind Bertans and his decision to sit out. Well. What are they going to say? Like, no, we we don't approve of it with this guy. We're trying to resign on a friendly deal in the off season. Like, of course, they're going to say they agree, but it hurts their credibility. You know, like from what I've heard, sort of anecdotally, is that the Wizards really pushed to be included in this bubble in the first place. And I think Ted likes to try to make the playoffs and has said all the we won't tank stuff. But if you're a hundred percent behind one of your three best current players sitting out it doesn't give your fans the the impression that you really want to go all in to try to make that playoff push. Yeah. And, and, and then it, it turns if, if what's, what's more, um, what's, what's greater, you know, the ability to compete in the play or, or your health concerns that are very realistic. I mean, these things are, are very realistic. There's data that that's pushing it. I mean, there's science that's behind it. Um, and then there's the balance that we fight. I mean, we're the, the entire country is fighting the uh, social versus the economic you know, platform on what's going to make the most sense. So I think basketball players are kind of just right in the, in the middle of that because we understand that there's economics involved, but, you know, there's, there's a huge uh, social side and that's life that yeah. is, is very important. And I think in a lot of situations, people sort of forget that pro athletes are actual people with the same problems that, that we have. And just because a lot of them are, are pretty well paid, it, it doesn't, mean that you don't have all the same stuff that everybody else deals with. So again, just going back to your point, like this is the one opportunity to just be like, nah, I'm, I'm not feeling it and, and be able to get away. It's, it's a different thought process, man. When you're, you're the breadwinner, when you are the guy that's making sure or the person that's making sure that everything runs, that, you know, things are, are taken care of. So you have to understand if, if, if you're willing to go out there, then, you could possibly be putting some of those things in jeopardy. Uh, and if there's an opportunity to, to engage later on with a, a limited you know, risk at that time, then that's, some, that's something that you have to have to think about. You know, I got to think even with the time they've sort of built in to get players ready, that there is an increased risk of I'm going to get re-injured or I can't get up to full game speed and now I'm going to push it all the way. And, and if you're Washington, like, I'm I'm always the like I'll compete until I don't have an opportunity to compete anymore. But you got to be realistic at a certain point here too. Like they're not going to win a championship. It's just not going to happen. So how hard do you want to? Like they better not let Brad Beal play 35 minutes if he's like the lone NBA caliber starter out on the court for some of these games. And I think that that is that is the balance. You know that is the balance because it it is going to be stressful on the body. The environment is different. The pressure is different. Uh, the mental thoughts are different. Obviously, you're thinking about the basketball thing, but the basketball games, you're still thinking about um, the things that are going around, you know, within your environment. There's no fans there. 
Yeah, so I, I would say that there's a, a an additional risk as far as the, you know ramping up and, and being ready to go. You have to shock your body, you know, and that's going to take you know four weeks. I mean, you know, when I was playing, I mean, it's going to take you four to six weeks to get into shape to to be able to go out, you know, and, and to compete, and then you're going to obviously get in better shape as you go. But that four to six week window, it's you know four for some guys, six for some guys, but that's going to allow you to to make it to the next level so you can gain even more fitness. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that baseline fitness, it's, it's going to be really, you know, it's going to be really tough. It is interesting to see some of these pictures that are coming out, like Nikola Jokic and Marcus Gasol are the two I've seen where they look like they're 50 pounds lighter than during the season. So um, be interesting to see what, what guys like that look like off the court. But you hear different things in the off season from guys, like some guys shut it down for a month and don't touch a ball. Other guys, you know, the next weekend they're, they're working on some part of their game. Which which kind of side did you lean toward, Larry? Uh, you know what? It de- it depended on how we left the season, what sort of team I was on, uh, and it also depended on age. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those things kind of factored in. And you know, later on, I would take you know three weeks off. Uh, but when I first came in the league, man, you know, I was with. Philly then was there was a, a lockout, but it was traded to Golden State, and we were never in any sort of playoff contention. I mean, even some of the games that we played, they were you know just like pickup games. Sure. So as soon as the season was over, I mean, you just make sure that you know all the little sprained ankles, whatever, are are decent, and then you just got back out there and played because you know, it wasn't fulfilling for me to to play you know and lose that many games. So I was just ready to get back out there. Um, you know, and try to get better. But as we won, you know, you you obviously had to take a little bit more time because you played a little bit deeper uh, into the season. So you just kind of gradually prepare yourself and prepare your body uh, for, for that next for that next season. That makes a lot of sense, and I think that's kind of appropriate for the, for the Wizards here too. Whereas, like most of what they've said this year has been like, "Oh, we're going to try to win," but all the things they've kind of done from a roster perspective say like all right, this is a soft rebuild. Um, so, you know, if you can get Brad some games, help him like, you know, kind of like get the bad taste of being 24 and 40 out of his mouth, maybe show some positive signs for next year, but not kill him minutes wise. Like, I think that's for the best. And then you just, hey, guys on the G League team, if they've shown some promise, get them some minutes with the real team, see what they look like. And it sounds like what they might be doing a little bit. Um, it's, it was announced this morning that Jerry and Grant would be filling the spot vacated by Davis Bertans. Um, Grant's sort of a, you know, a, a decently sized point guard, uh, played at Notre Dame in college. He went to DeMatha, so he's from the area. I actually didn't remember this. The Wizards drafted him 19th in 2015, but then he got traded to the Knicks. Uh, his best year in the NBA was 2017, 2018, where he put up eight points, about two and a half rebounds, four and a half assists. But I went to a decent amount of these G League games this year, and, and he was pretty good. I think one of the knocks on him was that he kind of couldn't shoot it um, and the perimeter shooting, but it wasn't on a ton of attempts. But I think he shot above 40% um, from three you know, this year. And it's the same line, and there's still reasonable defenders in the G League. So um, shot looked good to me, at least. So I think that's that's interesting to see because one of the the comments people have made is that they don't have sort of a young – option on the point you know the backup point guard list like Napier is a free agent obviously um but Ish is a little older Wall's obviously you know around 30 
had the injuries. So what do you think about the idea of just giving him sort of a, a test run here to see if he can be a cheap addition next year? I, I think that's fine. It, it's not going to be a, a, a real visual of who he is as a player. I mean, he's also been, you know, down uh, as well. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get a chance to, to see him. And I think that these guys that are coming up from the G League, it's an opportunity for them to, to audition for all the teams that are in the league. So I look at it as an opportunity for those guys. I actually played uh, with his dad mm-hmm. uh, in Philadelphia uh, during the, the lockout season. So I guess I'm getting old. <laughs> you're, bridging, you're bridging the generations here a little bit. Bridging the generations. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, but I, I think a number of those guys are, you know, get a shot. and and. And that's why it's good to to talk to their you know their G League coaches to see what their progression is, you know, to understand what their film session, what their what their watch is, what their practice habits are, um, to start to figure out you know if there's a way to to mold and to grow these younger guys because it is, you know, you, you need a mix of young players and veterans, and you just have to find that you know that that right mix. I would say I would say that there's more veterans than young guys, um, but there is a balance of of, of mix in there that I think that these guys can, can now um, showcase and then they could possibly get a chance to, um, you know, get to vet camp. The thing I like about this move is he's still young enough to show like potential and growth, but he's also played some NBA games and, and, you know, been on a team and kind of gets how it works. And I think that's huge for them to try to like fit a guy in last minute like this is to not have to expose him to something totally new. And you want a guy that you can rely on. So if he's he's been in the system and you mm-hmm. you know you understand that it's a tough situation for everybody, and if he's a guy that you're taking a hard look at, you maybe evaluate him in a different space. Of, you know, understanding what his mental makeup is. You know, how is he keeping his teammates engaged, um, and just kind of take a different you know evaluation process because the performance may not necessarily be, you know how you want it to be because there, there hasn't been, you know, any rhythm. Uh, but just think about how you, you know, you use the evaluation process, um, you know, especially now with a lot of those guys coming in. It's just going to be a different process of seeing if they can really uh, compete and help you at the next level. Uh, this is like a, a little bit of a random segue here, I guess. But I, I play a decent amount of tennis on the side. And, and one of the things everybody talks about is, you know, outside of like, it's a little different because there's rankings, you know, like everybody has their own ranking, but outside of the top 200, like guys 200 through 700 are really like almost the same level player. It's just about who got the right matchups or who's, you know, confident in the right tournaments. And I'm curious if that's sort of like similar from the NBA front where it's like guys, you know, nine, 10 on the bench versus some of these guys that are on the fringes of the league are, are really kind of close in level. And it's just getting the right situation and stuff I guess I, I think that that's very fair I think that that's very fair um, again a lot most times or sometimes uh, it's not about the player and, and his abilities it's about the, the situation that he's in and, and how he's able to affect that situation so you have those guys that you know on that fringe you know again a lot of things I look to separate is that mental piece mm-hmm sort of mental makeup what sort of mental capacity is this athlete bringing to this bringing to the game because that's what's going to get us over the hump when it's a tie game and there's 30 seconds left who's going to be able to think fast on their feet to get us in the best situation and make the best pass or call that timeout so that's what I'm looking for to, to, to separate because 
run, jump, pass, dribble. It's very consistent between, you know, from player to player, whether they're six foot or seven foot. Uh, but it's that mental piece of, of how they apply that information to the game that, that matters the most to me. Any guys you can think of off the top of your head that you played with where it was like, this guy I really thought was going to make it, but maybe he didn't get the right opportunity or he just sort of didn't have, you know, that piece of it or maybe just a little bit of bad luck? Well, I, th- I thought Kwame Brown would, would figure it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he obviously, you know, had some good years after we played together in D.C., but I thought that um, he would understand that he could be more effective on the defensive end versus the offensive end. Uh, and, and that's that little piece that I feel like he missed out on his opportunity um, to really affect the game. And you think about a guy like Ben Wallace and not necessarily putting those guys in the same category, but, you know, if you look at the body, look at the makeup, um, you look at the, the basketball experience, it kind of, it kind of levels out there. Mm-hmm. And what Ben did was he figured out that, you know, he can affect the game on the defensive end. When I think Kwame wanted to put the ball in the basket a little bit more than, you know, than the defensive end. So I think that that's, you know, somewhat of a separator um, just off the top of my head. Yeah, that, that's, that's a really good one. And, and you, you, talk, you touched on it there a little bit too. I think by the end of his career, like he was a pretty, like, you know, solid post defender and he's not maybe the, I hate this word, but the air quote bust that, uh, that, that he gets labeled with. He just didn't figure it out here, unfortunately. But if he'd have been a guy drafted 17, and turned into like the good rotation big that he was, I think we look at him totally differently. I would agree. Along the same lines, I heard a, an anecdote um, the other day on one of these like draft podcasts about how uh, when they were talking to Andre Drummond in workouts coming out of UConn, that they asked him what player he thought he could most compare to in the NBA. And he told all of these GMs that Kevin Durant was the guy he saw himself most being like in the league. And all I could just think of is, like somebody, somebody close to you has to tell you at some point, like I, I got to imagine the GMs aren't shooting him down. They're probably just like nodding and, and moving on to the next guy. But there's got to be a lot of guys like that in the league that maybe just don't have like a great sense of, of where they're really going to make their money long-term. And I mean, he figured it out, but. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that comes within, you know, that development stage of, you know, again, having a circle and giving the proper information and having that proper track. Uh, to develop and to match up your skill set with things that we've seen in the past and say that you do this well and you do this like this certain guy. And now you can be better than this guy because you have the blueprint. And if you don't have those guys in your circle and you start to wander off and you're a guy like that, you know, like Drummond, I mean, he's free throw line and below, you know, free throw line and below. That's so that's definitely not, you know, a KD and we should tell him that early. Uh, and then he hones those skills up below the free throw line and down as opposed to hanging out there between the legs behind the back shooting threes. Yeah, they had a workout video the other day of Mitchell Robinson for the Knicks, like doing his best, like James Harden impression. And it's just like that, that can't be what the Knicks want to see from you right now. <laughs> like, you know, watch the DeAndre Jordan footage or, or whoever they think is the comp. But, you know, I, I can imagine that being tough too. And I do think there's probably a certain amount of guys where, they do have more skills than they are allowed to show. And, you know, that may be not what the role the team team needs them to fill, I guess. But, but those, those guys always maximize that next role. Mm-hmm. They always maximize that next role. If, you know, like a Pat Beverly, yeah. like 
Pat is a dog. I mean, he can put the basketball in the basket. That's not his role, but he's good enough on the offense. He's, he has good enough talent to maximize the other role, right? Of playing defense, being a, you know, a pest on defense because he's not asked to score the basketball. But if you have him in a gym, you know, when you're playing baskets, I mean, he's going to get you buckets. But that's not his role, you know, within, you know, within the situation. That's, that's part of that understanding how good you actually are. I think some of this is probably style of play in the league too. You know, there's been a certain amount of guys where you watch him play and you're like, God, if this guy was like 10 years earlier or 10 years later, um, they probably would have just fit a more common or accepted mold or, or role too. So uh, interesting stuff. I just want to talk a little bit more bubble stuff here with you. We didn't really get into this a little bit, but mentioned a little bit with Atan last week. Uh, the NBA has announced that they have this hotline set up for players to be able to basically rat out their their peers if they see them leaving the bubble and stuff. I mean, you always hear the talk about the 450 and the fraternity there. Like, I just I can't see guys doing that. Am, am I being naive? Like, do you think guys will literally call and rat out somebody on another team? I, I think so. I think so. I mean, just having an understanding of what the what the guidelines are, mm-hmm. uh, just how that communication is. I mean, all these guys in the league they don't they don't like each other. I mean, it's That's just true. you know it, it's a it's a family. If you have to to stand up for him, then we'll stand behind you. Sure. But like everybody, they don't necessarily get along. So you're, you're watching to make sure that, you know, your health is at risk. So I think yeah. that you're watching things in a different way. Um, I'm, I'm just out in the streets and I'm looking around and people don't have masks on. So I, I don't have a problem with putting on a mask. I think it's a simple thing that we can do that prevents things from happening. But yeah, if, if we're told to, to wear masks and, I get this guy on this team, you know, he's not wearing his mask. Well, first I'm going to tell him to put his mask on, but if not, I, you know, I'll make that call so someone else can can step in and handle it. But it has to be um, – we all have to understand, you know, what you know what's ex- at, at stake. They, they had a – again, to use the tennis analogy that probably no one listening will care about, but they did sort of an unsanctioned tour, and a bunch of the guys were playing pickup basketball and soccer and went to nightclubs and – now literally all of them are sick and it's just, I think people just wanted to forget that it was still a thing. And to your point, like you, somebody's got to like hold other guys accountable and just be like, nah, this is, this is stupid. Yeah. And, and we spoke about this also with, with, with Eton is that, you know, these guys are playing pickup, like they're, they're playing pickup. So, you know, once they get into that situation and obviously you have a landscape of everybody being tested, but the basketball players, you know, over the last few weeks, I mean, They've been they play pickup. Yeah. So it's 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 just it's just one of those deals, man, where you have to just kind of get on the same page and those that are willing to, to roll with it are, are, are going ahead. And those that are not, they may be even be playing pickup outside of the bubble. Right. So it's it's very I mean, it's very weird right now. I'm just so curious how that'll that'll play out and I heard a couple comments about, you know, the players union calls they've had and how like Shams from the athletic has basically been on the call and like directly quoting people. And these circles aren't that tight. So like word gets out. So whether it's calling the, you know, the hotline or whatever, I can't imagine that something's not going to trickle out to media about, Hey, this guy's been, you know, breaking curfew a lot or whatever, however they phrase it. 
it's it's a different generation, man. This is a, this is a, this is a different, you know, it's a different generation. I mean, you do. They're probably passing around, you know, Zoom call information <laughs> and passwords and everything. So, you know, the guys that have maybe wrote something about them or helped them out in the situation can kind of get some inside information. So you you just don't, I mean, you just don't know. Pivoting back to something we talked about a, a little bit ago, uh, you mentioned Ben Wallace. And a couple of weeks ago, Rip Hamilton uh, was on the All the Smoke podcast uh, with Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes and told a story about how he didn't he just didn't know how to guard anybody when he was in Washington and, and no one really held him accountable to make him do that. And I think that was the knock on him here and maybe why he and maybe Doug had some issues or whatever. But he said all it kind of took for him was to see guys like Ben Wallace who were, you know, really interested in playing defense truly to like help him get in that mindset. Is that is it that simple sometimes is seeing other guys just actually try to guard? Oh, that, that's completely it. That's completely it. You don't have to be the best defender to play defense. I mean, Rip would use his hands. He would grab you. He wouldn't let you run. I mean, that, that team was built on, you know, playing defense and being uh, physical. So, and Rip's a good ball player and, and a good dude. So he's not going to let his teammates down. So he's going to step up and do whatever he has to do. If you can't move his feet, he'll just grab you. But those are the things that, you know, that good basketball players, good teams do. And, finding a team or finding a group that you enjoy being around and you're willing to fight, you know, you have conversations off the court. That was a very good group of guys on and off the court. I, I know their relationships very well, sit and play cards with those guys for hours. Mm -hmm. um, so they have a great relationship and they can make you do things that you wouldn't normally do. And playing defense is definitely one of them. I got to imagine the better camaraderie is with the team too. And, and, you know, the more you're willing to like sell out to try to like, I am, I'm, I'm going to dive on the floor for this. Cause those are my boys. And, and like, I got to imagine that helps. And Rip even said on that podcast, like, you know, he would wait a couple of weeks to cut his fingernails sometimes cause he wasn't above like scratching guys. And I'm sure Victim. you were on the wrong end of that. Victim. When I said hands, I meant nails. <laughs> Uh, that's too funny. I mean, that's stuff that goes on in like pickup games now, but I, I just, you never think of that with like NBA guys too, but it makes sense. Rip also told a story about. I wasn't going to call, I wasn't going to call him out, but since he told on himself, I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and I'll officiate that. Yes, sir. Uh, you're a good dude, Larry. I, I, I'll, uh, I'll be the one to snitch for him. But yeah, if he said it, it's fair game, right? I mean, that's when he said it, I laughed. And I'm like, oh, he's, he's serious about this. All right. Uh, he, he also told a story about, Leron Prophet while he was in Washington and how I guess he was playing pickup with Jordan and gave him a couple buckets in a row and like barked at Jordan like you can't guard me with those old ass knees and then Jordan traded him like two weeks later or something any insight there do you, do you buy that facts heard the story um it verified and I don't know if there was any malice there but definitely again we talked about it like that, that was the boss man so you know that's how things went and that definitely happened. It's interesting because, like, you hear stuff like, well, Steve Kerr stood up to him, so that kind of endeared him to MJ. And you hear similar things with Kobe. Like, Kobe said, like, Steve Blake was one of his favorite teammates just because, like, Steve didn't take shit from anybody. But so it's funny to me that, you know, somebody would bark at him in a practice, and then that would be enough to be like, all right, you got to go. I, I guess there's a balance. Sure. I guess there's a balance, and, and maybe he didn't like him in the first place. I don't right. know. Yeah, if you're kind of on the edge, you, you got you to gotta know where you're at. 
just staying in the time capsule here a little bit, uh, I've been seeing some of these sort of older games, and they had the 2012 playoffs, the Miami-Boston series, so when LeBron was with the team and, and you know, the big three in Boston, and this is kind of a random one, but Jeff Van Gundy mentioned like 11 times calling the game about how every time Rondo went to the basket, he went up off, quote, the wrong foot. And I just had an exchange with a, a friend the other day on Instagram about how they're teaching guys now, like there is no wrong foot. And how much of that have you seen with the player development work that you do with, with younger guys where you have to break them from, from bad habits or get the, like, past old ways of teaching like that? I mean, just that, oh, you can't go up a layup, you know, for a layup unless you're off your opposite foot. Like how much of that is not fair anymore? I think we're watching. There's a lot of content out there. Um, what I don't get into is the naming of certain moves because these things have been done before these current guys, the Rondo and the mm-hmm. the, the Euro step and things like that. I mean, the, the, these things happen within, you know, through the course of the game. And now there's just so much content out there. There's so many cameras out there. You can stop. I mean, the game is, is, is really on reaction. So you may just take that half a step or take that quick step. And now it's labeled, you know, a layup off the wrong foot. So it's just like really the information. So when we talk to the young people, it's about being efficient and keeping the separation, keeping the space. And if you're shooting a layup off of off of the wrong foot, so to speak, you're just actually catching that defender off balance mm-hmm. and you're not taking an extra step to finish the layup. So that's how I would explain it as opposed to you know, jumping off the wrong foot. It's just using the, the hand and the foot that's closest to the basket. Right. Instead of taking an extra, you know, taking an extra step, but so many of the so many of the skills now have you know a name associated with it, and really when you're working with the young people, those are the names that are in the, the, the forefront. Mm-hmm. So you find yourself using those names because those are the names that you know, that resonate to the to the young people. So there's a balance for me, uh, but I do explain to them that these moves, uh, these skills were were there before these current guys were, were, it was named for them. Yeah. Harden wasn't the first guy to step back. You know, uh, Dirk wasn't the first guy to fade away. And it's interesting. Um, all right. I got a couple more quick hitters for you. And then let's, uh, let's call it a day here. When play does resume in the NBA, who are the two players you're most looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, get back out there, not including either of the St. Louis guys. Oh, you just took one of my St. Louis guys out. Uh, but I want to see, obviously, I want to see what Braun does. I, I want to see how he comes back. Um, he has been, you know, MVP level play before this thing, before this thing all started. Uh, he's on a mission. He's trying to win a championship. And I think he's one of the guys that has the ultimate focus to separate things and, and put things in the right perspective of going out and doing work and then being as safe as possible to make sure that he keeps his family as safe as possible. I think he's, one of the few guys that'll be able to to separate those two. And then also, I'm going to say Paul George, because I know Bron is going for a championship, and obviously Kawhi won last year, and they're in the same conference. Um, so Paul George is like the difference maker for me. He's been injured. Mm-hmm. He should be healthy now. And depending on how well he plays, it's going to depend on if Bron can win a championship. So I think that those are the two guys I want to see how they – they come out of it. And I will add, I want to see if, if Kawhi will have the low management that he's had throughout the course of the last two seasons and just figure out how that factors into their timeline or 
you know, any sort of, you know, thing that can happen with the seating or anything that's going to happen with him uh, not playing the, the, the normal amount of games. I mean, he was like dragging a leg for half of the playoffs last year and was still so good. I'm curious to to your point about, do we even see him for the first couple of these, you know, eight regular season games or, or do they just, are they so overly cautious? Paul George is a great one. And, and to be honest with you, I kind of forget about him, you know, over the course of this season, just because like you said, in and out of the lineup and, you know, how good Kawhi was even without, you know, a number two option like that last year. But just looking at that Clippers roster, I forgot, um, like Reggie Jackson is like the third guard, you know, third point guard on the team now. Like that's another guy that has some holes in his game maybe, but can definitely play. Like they're so deep. And now you see the Lakers lose like an Avery Bradley just, just announced he's not going to play. I think that's going to be the difference maker too. Maybe it's just how much depth some of these teams keep. Yeah, and you got Avery Bradley dropping out, and you got Swaggy P, and you got Jr. like raising their hand, <laughs> right. like pick me, pick me, pick me. Yeah. So it just, you know, it's just a matter of what the guy's preference is. But I'm really, um, really, really looking at you know how these guys approach this situation from, from a mental standpoint. That, that's the piece I can't wait to see how they, you know, how they react mentally. I saw the Lakers are strongly considering J.R. Smith and had worked them out before, um, you know, the end of the, the regular season. And I can just not get the picture of LeBron holding his palms up at J.R. in the, the finals last year out of my mind. I just it would be amazing to me if he ended up on that team. But what do I know? Yeah, and I know that they're good. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're good like that. You know, that's that's a part of building that relationship, you know off the court and, and on the court. So when things happen on the court, you can, I mean, I'm sure that they've had a real conversation about that. And I've seen them together. I've seen them have conversation and I know for a fact that they're good, but that's like what we talk about with, you know, the on the court, off the court, you know, when you build that strong relationship off the court, you know, there, there's always a place for you. Uh, all right. Two quick ones here. Uh, JJ Reddick said on his podcast recently that when he was uh, first entering the league and in Orlando, like almost everybody on the team golfed and now, you know, almost nobody in the league golfs. Did, did you notice stuff like that? I mean, was it really that big a deal for, for players at the time? Yeah. Players golf. I was one of the guys that like, I'm not playing golf and now I, and now I play golf. <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, I mean, I had a, a, a bunch of teammates that would, would go off and play golf on either uh, off days or even, you know, before shoot around sometimes. Uh, and that, that is that is interesting uh, that you put it that way. Maybe the you know it's, it's getting younger. The league is obviously getting younger, but there wasn't a difference between you know white or black. I mean, both you know white and black guys. My teammates were playing, uh, were playing golf. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah, I, you know, I was I was wondering if it was just part of the going back to that the league getting younger thing and just different trends. Now maybe it's more you know certain video game that everybody rallies around or. Um, a lot of these guys that that have podcasts and stuff, they all talk about wine. Like that seems to be like the number one trend uh, across the NBA right now. Was that another big one while you were playing? Like everybody was a big wine drinker. No, it may have been cigars. May have been in place of of wine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I would say cigars was 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 in place of wine. Like CJ McCollum does a wine segment on his podcast and everybody talks about like the Spurs dinners and stuff like that. And and that led me to my last question a little bit. What were team dinners like for, for a lot of these teams? Was it like, let's say that just the Wizards teams specifically, um, did, did most of those guys hang out or when you were on the road, you know, is it 
four or five guys, 10 guys? How, how did that kind of stuff work? Uh, there was always a few guys together. As far as the dinners, I mean, you, you always had three or four guys together. Mm-hmm. And, and when you had three or four guys together, uh, we really had a, a pretty close circle uh, with our entourage, so to speak. I mean, there was always, you know, one or two guys with me and then, you know, GA, it was just always GA. Brendan may have one person, Jeremy may have one or two people. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you had, you know, three teammates and that turned into, you know, 10 to 12 people, uh, we would go out to dinner, we would go out to uh, nightclubs and really have a, uh, you know, good, good team, good team atmosphere. And then the older guys, you know, which was normally me, uh, I would always take care of the bill. You know, you always had a vet that, that normally takes care of the bill. So I, I never let any teammates, we never split bills or anything like that. I was usually the guy that, that, that took, the, took the checks. But again, it's just like when you have those guys that you can hang with off the court, it makes it so much special, uh, you know, on, on the court. I heard like Chris Paul say that they used to do like credit card roulette and him and DJ and, and Blake Griffin and some of these guys, and they would always like not let the rookies throw in for, for stuff like that just because they couldn't afford to keep up, I guess. Yeah, you couldn't afford it. I mean, you couldn't let the rookies play cards and things of that <laughs> nature. You, know, you just kept them, kept those guys, you kept those guys as safe as you could. But you have some of those rookies, you know, those young guys that like to jump in b- before they're ready. Got to save them from themselves sometimes. Yeah. Uh, all right, partner. That's kind of all the stuff I had this week. Anything uh, you want to get to? No, just I mean, just the thought that we, had, the thoughts that I had, uh, just as far as how do we do the things that we can do to, you know, not necessarily flatten the curve now, but just really eradicate um, the virus and, and try to keep things at, at a minimum uh, until we actually have some 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 medicine that helps. Is to put a mask on, a face covering. I mean, it's, it's, it's just really a simple deal. Um, don't necessarily politicize it. Uh, just think about the health of others, the health of the people next to you, uh, and just try to be better uh, than we were the day before. I know you're a movie guy, too, and I, I saw the big AMC theater thing about how they weren't going to require people to wear masks because they didn't want to get involved in a political issue. And to your point, it's just yeah. just take care of the people around you like it just shouldn't be that tough. And, and I guess they got enough backlash that, that they've reversed course on that. So it's good to see. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I would echo the same thing. I think seen less and less around here. So hopefully we can kind of get back to, to, to looking out for each other. Um, all right, everybody. Again, this is Believe in Wizards, B-L-E-A-V. I've uh, got a couple guests lined up for you the next couple weeks. Uh, we were going to try to have uh, G League coach Ryan Richmond on the day. Couldn't make the timing work. So save that for another week and uh, get some other folks lined up for you. So Again, make sure to rate, review, subscribe. Please download. That's sort of the most important uh, metric for a podcast. So, yeah, hit, hit that little down arrow, tell a friend, all that good stuff, and we will catch you all next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. 
At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.